working on a series entitled, Why? And we've been asking the question, why should we live generously? Why? Why should we do that? Now, the truth is that when it comes to being generous, most people do so when they feel generous. You ever feel generous? You, you know what I'm talking about? Like you're in your car and you just kind of look over to the side and you all, all of a sudden you feel generous, right? Or you're in your car and, and you're waiting for your coffee and you feel generous and so you do something for the person behind you, right? Or maybe you look upon your kids and, well, some of you parents just don't, I get it, right? You've been generous your whole life. But the thing about it is that generosity is not a feeling. It's a lifestyle. And if we operate in, in, according to generosity based upon what we feel or on special occasions, let me submit to you that that's not generosity at all. Because it's momentary. It's temporary. It's not a lifestyle. See, the Bible gives us great example that everyone can live generously. Now, for some of us, when we think about being generous, some of us believe we can't be. Because we think that what we have isn't enough. But let me submit to you that everyone has the same as it pertains to what God has provided. Everyone has the same. Let me prove that to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 10, says, Now he who supplies. So the he that supplies is not you or I. As a matter of fact, this isn't even talking about our employer. This isn't talking about your retirement check. This isn't talking about the money that you get biweekly. This isn't talking about the money that you've stored up. It says, now he, meaning God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, God has given you seed to sow and bread to eat. Man, I hope you're listening to this. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched. Somebody say enriched. You will be enriched in every way so that you, somebody say that's me, so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity, listen to this, will result in thanksgiving to God. I can end this sermon right now by simply just saying this. Here's the number one, the only reason why we should live generously. Because it gives God thanks. Now you got to get this. This is free. This ain't even in my notes. This is free though. Listen, God is a giver. He is a good giver. He is the greatest giver of all time. No one can top God in his giving. No one can top God in his provision. And if we are to reflect God, the best way to do so is by resembling his heart. God is a giver. And he calls us to be generous. But see, the thing about it is that for some of us, we miss what generosity is all about. See, generosity isn't about what we do for people. Generosity is about what God is doing to us. What God is doing to us. 
Think about what we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 and 11. Generosity is how God brings increase and enlarges the seed and the bread that he supplies to us all. What I want you to see is that generosity changes us. It changes us. It brings increase to us. It creates opportunities for us. It makes us useful in the hands of the master creator. It does something to us. And here we are thinking, oh, I just feel generous. Let me do something for somebody. Let me submit to you that God has given each and every person seed to sow and bread to eat. The question is, what are you doing with it? Last week, we saw that generosity changes our heart. That the reason why God commands us to live generously isn't because he wants our money. It's because he wants our heart. See, the heart and our pocket, according to Scripture, are closely tied together. And the truth is this, that what you do with your treasures, according to the words of Jesus we saw last week, reveals what you truly treasure, where your heart is. And so we must be generous. Well, today, we're invited to go deeper with God. Anybody interested in going a little bit deeper with God? Listen, today I want to invite you to go deeper with me as we listen to God's word and we open our hearts as we lean into today's discussion on the topic, it changes your situation. It changes your situation. Listen, living generously changes your situation. It changes your circumstances. Now, let me just give you some quick fun facts. As recent as 2017, there was some major research done in the scientific community on the effects of generosity in the lives of people. The Science Daily Journal, along with quite a few other publications, reported the following on this matter. Generous people are more satisfied with life and being happy daily than people or not. It's proven. People who are more generous are more likely to believe that life is meaningful, that they are, they're proven to be optimistic. These are people who are proud to be who they are. Their self-esteem level is higher. Generous people maintain closer relationships. They have more friends. They have a greater support system and report that their support system is made up of people who would be more willing to help them out in the toughest of situations. Generous people are happier with every factor relating to their jobs and careers. Now, let me just be very clear because some of you, you're saying, well, there's just certain parts that I don't like about my job. I didn't say that you are the happiest. But you are happier. Thank you, brother. That is so true. I I appreciate what this brother. He says, I love my job. But get this. When you understand that your provision is not your employer, then you are always grateful. You are always thankful. There's a reason to rejoice. Why? Because God is providing for you always. Amen? Now, get this. This one I found very interesting. They've proven that there is a direct correlation between positive measures of mental and physical health among generous people that is less likely among people who are not generous. 
Now, I, gotta, I want you to think about this. A generous person is an open-handed person. Not just an open-handed person, it's a very giving person. It's a person whose life is a channel. And the thing about it is that when your life is a channel, things flow through you, right? And guess what being generous also does? It clears out the heart of some junk. But when we stop the heart, when we live in a less than generous manner, here's what happens. It creates some problems. And listen, it affects us physically, emotionally, mentally, and it certainly affects us spiritually. One more thing that I want to share with you. A study conducted by the University of Zurich found that there is an actual neural link that is created in the brain resulting in happiness that is specifically attributed to people that are generous. And so here's the truth. Being generous may not always change the facts of life, but it will change how we interpret them. And I want you to hear where I'm coming from with this. When we live generously, we've just seen some things scientifically that make sense. When we live generously, what it does to us is not only does it change our heart, but it changes how we respond to circumstances. And the last time I checked, the majority of issues in life don't come because of the problems that we face. It comes out of how we wrongly interpret them and respond to them. That makes sense? And so we should live generously. So I want to give you a biblical example out of John chapter 6. In John 6, we see a time when our Lord Jesus wanted to affect a situation. He wanted to bring change in this situation. But the thing is that when he, when it came to this particular situation, it hinged in part upon the generosity of those who were among him. So get this. The most generous giver in all creation is looking for someone to mimic his character. He's with his, his disciples. And He's inviting them to be a part of what he wants to do. Let's look at the scriptures for reference and see what we can learn here. Starting in John chapter 6, verse 5, it says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now get this. He asked this only. Somebody say only. You got you to pay attention to this. He asked this only. To test him. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Then Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He listened to what he says. He says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and Two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now, Bible scholars estimate, it, because back in those days, uh, unfortunately, it was a time where when you counted crowds, what they counted was men. They didn't count women and they didn't count children. So it's most likely uh, 
several thousand more than these 5,000 that we're seeing here. But anyway, it says in verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks. In other words, he prayed, he blessed it, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now Matthew 14 gives us record of this same account. And it tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, that he was moved with compassion. It says that he healed all their sick into the evening hours. And so what we see is that Jesus had compassion on this crowd. And, we, and, and if you look at this just at surface level, many of us would quickly interpret that Jesus was looking upon this crowd and he says, man, I just feel so sorry for them. We should feed them. But that wasn't the case at all, my friends. You see... Jesus had compassion on a crowd, but his agenda was to teach his disciples. Listen closely. This miracle was more than for the sake of the people in the crowd. This was about his disciples. And that should perk our attention up. Any disciples in the house? Well, listen closely, follower of Jesus Christ. Let's see what we can learn from the scriptures. Because I believe that God is speaking directly to you and I. Now, I want you to notice that the scriptures state that the intent that Jesus had was to test them. The feeding of the 5,000, which was many more than those 5,000, that was the byproduct but the intent was to test them, to teach them, to reveal to them their heart. And so Matthew 14 says that when he saw the crowds and that it was getting late, it says the disciples beckoned Jesus to send the crowds away so they could go find something to eat because it was late. And in Matthew 14, Jesus says to them, you feed them. You feed them. Tell somebody, you feed them. Tell somebody else, you feed them. Now, from the onset, we see, just based upon what we read in John 6, and if you look at the other accounts here, what you'll see is that the disciples were in doubt. They did not believe that it was possible to meet such great a need. They didn't believe it. There was doubt there. And we have to ask ourselves, why did they doubt? I mean, consider this. They are with Jesus, the Son of God. They are with Jesus who has raised the dead. They are with Jesus who has multiplied wine to a great extent. It was his very first miracle. They were there. And so they're, 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 they're doubting that this is possible. And we have to ask, was it because it was impossible for Jesus? Was it because there weren't enough resources? Was it because it was beyond their realm of belief to do so? Remember, Jesus said, you feed them. And they go, who, me? <laughs> me? 
John 6, 9 gives us evidence of this. It says that Andrew said, here's a boy with five loaves and two fishes. But how far can they go is basically what he's saying. And so they looked around and here's what they concluded. They did what many of us do. When it comes to being generous sometimes, we kind of look around. We assess the situation. We look at the budget. We examine everything around us. We go by the culture and, and what, what's being said. You know, you got to strap on tight right now because turkeys aren't going to be available. That was in the news. Last time I checked, there's a bunch of turkeys. Thank God for turkeys. Can somebody give God some praise for a turkey? So they looked around and they said, we don't have enough resources. But you know, Mark 6, 37, which also records this exact uh, moment, gives us a very interesting detail that we should pay attention to. Listen to what it says. They said to him, the disciples, that would take more than a half year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So I want you to think about what's actually happening here. Their doubt wasn't based on the massive need among so many. And it wasn't based on a lack of resources either. According to Mark 6.37, let's put that up on the screen. I want you to see this for yourself. They said, are we to go and spend that much and give it? You know what that tells us? They had it. They had it. They had more than a half year's wages. And they go, wait a minute, Jesus. You mean you actually want me to go spend? Watch this. What's yours? It was his ministry. It was his work. And they had the privilege to be a part of it. And they say, wait a minute, do you want us to go spend what's yours, Jesus? They were intent on holding on to what God had placed into, listen to this, into their hands. And we must never forget that according to the scriptures, we are stewards. We are not owners. We are stewards. Know what a steward is? A trusted one. And here's the thing, if you study the scriptures, God entrusts to everyone according to their ability. If you ever find yourself going, oh my God, why am I not getting my breakthrough? Why am I struggling? You got to ask yourself this question. Have you been faithful with what you have within your ability? We're going to talk about this next week. We're going to dig into this a little bit more. I guarantee you, you do not want to miss it. And so... The disciples had the resources to feed this massive crowd. They did. But they couldn't believe that God would call them to use what they had in their hand. They couldn't believe it. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God wants to use what he's entrusted you with for his purposes? Do you believe that? 
Let me ask you another question. Before I ask this, say this with me. I love Pastor Jose. I, I didn't feel that love, man. I, I honestly, but you know what? That's all right. Because my job is to give you the truth. So, so let's consider this. Let's consider this. Do your actions match your professed words? Something to consider. And so they were intent on holding on to what God had placed into their hands rather than letting it go into the hands of God. And you know, these men would have never experienced their breakthrough in this moment unless a little boy came with his lunchbox and said, I can help. I can do something. See, Jesus wasn't focused on the amount needed to provide for these people. He wasn't. Scriptures reveal that. He was looking for someone that would act in complete faith. And so it's for this reason, get this, Jesus did the impractical. So we already know the disciples had what was necessary to cover the cost to, to buy this, this bread and this fish. The little boy, on the other hand, comes with five pieces of bread and two fish. And he's saying, he's probably thinking to himself, we can split each one of these loaves among a thousand people. Actually, more than that. But somehow we can do this. And I may not have five fish, but I have two. Now keep this in mind. This little boy comes with what he had in his little lunchbox. And if you just look at it and compare it apples to apples, you would say, so let's just say, for example, here's the money that the disciples have to cover the cost of this need. Here's what the little boy has in comparison to them. And Jesus looks at both and he says, I don't need your money. I'll use the five bread and two fish. Why? Because there was faith attached to it. I want you to think about that. Jesus did the impractical. It makes no sense. No sense. And so as a result, what we see is the situation changed. Get this. This little boy was among the crowd of people who were hungry. He was among the crowd. He gave what he had. He gave it. So he reaped more than he originally had. How do we know that? Because Scripture says that the people ate as much as they wanted. How do we know the situation changed? The disciples learned the power of giving. Notice what the Scripture says. It says, and so they gathered the food and filled 12 baskets food. 12 baskets of food left over from the crowd. Why is that important to note? Because the 12 baskets weren't for the crowd. It was for them. It was for them. It was for them. So there's a lot that we learn here, and I just want to give you a couple of things about how generosity impacts our circumstances. How does it create change? And this is, this, this is just a, a 
introduction to this. We're going to pick up on this next week. But the first thing I want to leave you with is that generosity isn't about you, but it is for you. I'm going to say that again. Generosity isn't about you, but it is for you. Let's consider what we're talking about here. These men made the opportunity to be generous about themselves. Consider it. How are we supposed to do this? We only have five loaves and two pieces of fish. Wait, are we, are we actually supposed to use what we have in reserves? And so sometimes we do the same. If we could just tell on ourselves for a moment. We view an opportunity, we, we, we become aware of an opportunity to be generous, and we immediately look past what God is trying to do in us. Because we're just focused on us. Let me tell you what it sounds like. I don't want to do this. I don't see how I can do this. I don't see how my contribution can make a difference. You know what the trend is when we live that way? Ay, 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 You are in a world of hurt because at the center of your life is I, not God. I, not God. It's all about I. And the problem with seeing the opportunities that God grants us to be generous through the lens of I is that we fail to see that God never forgets us in the process of being generous. Listen, when God calls you and I to be generous, he doesn't forget us. Remember this. He gives us seed to sow. And bread to eat. Now I know some of us, we like to focus on the bread. So much so that when we get seed, we eat it. We eat it. If you find yourself in a place where you are convinced, I can't. Let me submit to you that scripturally speaking, the reason why you believe you can't is because you're eating your seed. You're eating it. You know, if I want to have an apple, you know what I don't do? I don't go eat seeds. I eat the apple. But guess what? When you eat the fruit, when you reap from the fruit of God's provision, you'll always have seed to sow. It'll always be there. Always. And so... The disciples could have missed this, the immense blessing that was laid up for them after this great miracle had it not been for this little boy who saw past himself. Somebody say this with me. Self, get out of the way. Now, some of you need to do more than just tell yourself to get out of the way. Some of you need to kick yourself out of the way, right? So this little boy was among people in need that day, but he saw past his need, and listen to this, he 
took on the role. He incarnated the role of a seed. Let me tell you what I mean by that. A seed is singular in and of itself. But when it is sowed, it multiplies in impact. And I want you to see what the scriptures are showing us. That when we are generous, listen closely, we tap into the very nature of God. You must understand the laws of God's kingdom. The scripture says, what you sow, you reap. If you sow hostility, you reap hostility. If you sow discord, you reap discord. If you sow uh, strife, you'll reap strife. If whatever you sow, you reap. You sow, you reap. And many of us have a warped understanding of generosity. We view generosity as a burden. And if you're the religious person, you, rev- you view it as an obligation. Oh, man, all right, I might as well just do it because, in fact, it is in the Bible. And so, yeah, I, I, I'll do, God, I'll do it. And we think we're doing something. You're wasting your seed because your heart is not good ground. Now, get this. The reality is, here's the proper view. We don't have to give. We get to give. Listen closely. You, believer, have a privilege. It is an honor, a privilege bestowed upon us to be image bearers of our God. It is an image to be generous. It it, it is a privilege to be generous because it most closely reflects our God. You know, giving is a privilege because when we are generous, the truth is, not only do we resemble God, but God is that much more generous towards us. Believer, that's your privilege. Say this with me. It's my privilege to be generous. You should wear that like a badge of honor. Like a badge of honor. I don't know how, honey, I don't know how we are not broke. I just don't know how. Oh, I know who. But I'm not trying to make sense of it. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. You can never outgive God. You can never be more generous than God. We can't. See, being generous is a gift that you receive, not one that you give. You should write that down in your notes. Being generous is a gift that you receive, not one that you give. We look at generosity as if it's us giving something to someone. No, 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 no. It's us receiving the privilege to be like God 
and to reap from his kingdom. Listen to Luke 6.38. It says, give and it will be given to you. Somebody tell somebody else, he's talking to you. He's talking to you, yes. He's talking to us. Given it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure, listen, the measure you use, it will be measured to you. By the way, we're quoting Jesus there. See, back in those days, the front part of the garment was made large, actually larger than, than, than the rest of the clothing, because, uh, and, and it hung primarily over the chest because it served almost as a pocket. It was to carry. Now, in an agricultural system, right, and in those days, they didn't have shopping carts, and they didn't have those brown shopping bags or the plastic ones that you buy these days. No, what they used was their clothing. And so when the scripture says, given it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, it's actually talking about a measurement. When it talks about a measure, what it's referring to is the, the uh, garment, which in some portions of scripture refers to as a bosom. Uh, you would pull that and you would open it. You would hold it out. And here's what they would do. They would... Pour your grain in there. And then you, what you would do is this. You would shake it. Right? Why? So that it could settle. So that they could give you the accurate amount of a measure. Now listen to what God says. When you give, I'll give to you. But I'm not going to give to you like men do. No, I'm going to give you a good measure. And watch what God calls a good measure. Watch what God calls a good measure. Not only is it pressed down, in other words, it settles and fills your whole bosom, your whole, your, the whole garment. No, it settles down, it's shaken together to the extent that it doesn't fit. It runs over and it's pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring. My friends, listen to the heart of God. It is His will for you to overflow so that you and I can be generous on every occasion. Listen, you know what the problem is today in the church world? We're looking to the world to do what God has called us to do. Let me tell you, there's no need for public support when the church is doing what it's supposed to do. There should be no public, no, no, no public, uh, whatever you call it, public assistance. There should be God's assistance. So see, when, you, when we give, listen closely, because for some people, we just use this as a formula, and, we, and, and no wonder it doesn't work. When we give with the right heart, when we are generous, not just feeling generous, when we have the right heart, hmm, 
God's promise is that he doesn't just fill your lap, your bosom, with what you're giving, what you've given. His promise is that when you give with the right heart, he fills every space of your life and then some to overflowing. To overflowing. Somebody say overflow. God wants you to overflow. You know, you know what we need to do? Make room for God. Make room for God. Be generous. Be generous. The next point I want to leave you with is that when you focus on the size of the gift God calls you to give, you miss the size of God's provision to do it. When you focus on the size of the gift, the gift that God calls you to, the one that he calls you to give, you miss the size of God's provision to do it. My pastor was infamous for this. He would say, son, if it doesn't scare you, it's not God. Man, I have learned that lesson many times over. See, the disciples focused on the size of the task before them. Jesus says, you feed them. And they looked at the people like they were a problem. They looked at the task like it was too big to do. And you know what? For them, it was too big to do. But they lost sight of what Jesus was telling them and Jesus among them. They should have focused on the size of their God and his desire to provide for the call. I'll tell you honestly, I'm going to just be transparent. A while back, we started with this vision for a building. Until this day, the words that I believe God anointed this tongue with have proven true. They cannot sell the building that we are attempting to buy. They just can't. They just can't. What I told them was, you will not sell that building because it's ours. So now, now get this, get this, get this. It has taken some time. It's still taking some time. I applaud what God has done through you. Your faithfulness. Listen, we, we aren't, we're making progress. There's still time. You know, there's still more to do. I'm not taking an offering, by the way. Just so we're clear. But here's what I recognize. There was a time where I was just complaining to God. God, but you know, we don't have enough money. And God, this and that. And Holy Spirit said to me, who told you you needed money? Listen, sometimes we place our need, we view our need as money. No, what we need is God. What we need is God. I'm going to say that again. What we need is God. Tell somebody, I need God more than anything else. I pray you believe that. Now, we can't forget 
that the scripture clearly tells us that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He knew it. See, God already had a plan. But in this moment, what he lacked was participators. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. So what we know based on that is that the issue wasn't the provision. The issue was the people through whom God wanted to release it. It was them. It was their heart. It was their limited thinking, their their small belief. You know, King David knew something about this, and it's one of the reasons why he was so successful. In Psalm 23, verse 1, David declares this, The Lord is my shepherd. Watch this. I shall not want. David understood the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep because he himself had been a shepherd boy. And here's what David knew, that the sheep never wander or wander in search of their provision. They simply learn to follow the shepherd. The shepherd, if you study this out in those days, shepherds would go out in the colder months, fall into the winter, and they would scope out what was called tablelands, high plateau lands. And they would go into these lands and they would scope it out and they would find good, good ground and they would remove any poisonous roots and weeds and things like that and they would be aware of the prey and they would kill prey. And so when the shepherd would arrive in the spring months, with the sheep, guess what? The land was already prepared for them to eat. And any destroyer that lurked around them, any prey, any, any predator that, that, that lurked around that wasn't already dead knew, can't touch this. Can't touch them. Why am I sharing that with you? Because your shepherd has the location of your provision. Your shepherd knows the timing for its release. Your shepherd has removed the destroyer to your provision. And so get this, when God calls you to be generous, here's what we need to know. That God would never lead you and I to a place in life where he hasn't already provided for us. So instead of becoming overwhelmed with the size of the call to generosity, be overjoyed at the fact that God is faithful and he has deemed you able to fulfill the call. I'm sitting in a room of able people, anointed people, called people, chosen people. That's who you and I are. That's who we are, ladies and gentlemen. truth is that your situation has already changed. Let me say this. You just haven't stepped into it. It's already prepared. The provision's already there. Listen, when we started this ministry, I've shared this before, so I don't mean to belabor this, but when we started this ministry, I looked at the account, and I looked at what we were going to do. And my wife said, we have 400 and whatever, 
that's our tithe. And I said, okay. I didn't have another check coming. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you about my God. The reason why we're standing today, prospering, expanding, pushing forward, daring for bigger and better, becoming involved in other things, being called to the table for other, for, for other tables that we don't belong at. Let me tell you why. It's because we were founded and we continue to be a people that understand that we want to reflect God and give him honor. And so we don't only talk about generosity, we live it. We live it. Come on, God deserves some praise on that. The last point I want to leave you with here is that generosity changes your situation by changing where you are situated. Generosity changes your situation by changing where you are situated. Listen, generous people reap generosity. Let me put that another way. Generous people reap generously. Generously. Most people understand that generosity is the act of giving when in fact there's more to it. Let me say this very clearly. Generosity is a divine process to prosper. I'm going to be leaving you on a cliffhanger this week because there's a part two to this message. Next week, you do not want to miss service here. We're going to see from Scripture how do we actually begin to participate in the process of our situations changing. There's some very practical, scriptural, spiritual principles that we need to understand if we are to live generously. You want to be here next week. But let me just take you back and close out today. Notice that at the onset of feeding the 5,000 people, before the miracle took place, the disciples and Jesus both had resources. The disciples had more than enough to meet the need. The boy didn't have enough. But the amount wasn't what made the difference. It was the sincerity of the heart and the willingness to give that was the determining factor. Matthew 14 states that when Jesus saw what they had, he said, give it to me. Bring them here to me, he said in Matthew 14, 18. In other words, Jesus called an audible. The plan was the disciples. But then he says, eh, they ain't ready. He says, bring me, bring me what you got, little boy. And watch what Jesus does. He calls for a transfer of authority from their hands to his. He says, let me take that out of your hands because in your hands it's limited. And the scripture clearly states that he blessed what he received from them. And then he did this. He put it back into their hands. And it multiplied. Listen closely. When you and I live generously, when we operate and live a life in partnership with God, 
according to the scriptural context that we live by, you can't help but reap a reward. You can't help but advance and increase. But watch. Remember how we started, 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. It's when we do it with the right heart. Here's what happens. Then we have opportunity at all times to be generous. Why? Because we're living it. See, God is looking for a people, hands to fill. But watch why. It's to channel it. God's not interested in reservoirs. He calls you and I to be running, living waters. It flows. Can anybody give God some praise today and thank Him for the privilege to worship Him, to be His hands, to live generously? Let's stand. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.